This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T, and you are listening to episode 88. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me. Shoot me an email at rkraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the Microcap message. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Bill Naskovitz, Chairman and Portfolio Manager of the Heartland Value Fund and Small Cap Value Strategy. I had originally met Bill about two years ago at an investor conference in California, and he ended up agreeing to be our keynote speaker at our 2017 Planet Microcap Showcase, where he discussed, and I quote, opportunity in a passive world, end quote. You can actually hear Bill's keynote address on our YouTube channel at SNN Network, www.youtube.com backslash SNN Wire. Mr. Naskovitz has over 50 years experience as a microcap investor, as well as 36 years with Heartland. He has more experience investing in what we all know and love probably than most of us have collectively. With that, I had to have Bill on to share his insights on how the small cap microcap universe has changed over the years, Heartland's investment process, and what the opportunity is for investors in the small micro and nano cap space. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 88, and please enjoy my interview with Bill Naskovitz, Chairman and Portfolio Manager of the Heartland Value Fund and Small Cap Value Strategy. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hi, everyone. Robert Kraft here, your host on the Planet Microcap Podcast. As some of you may know, when I'm not interviewing folks for the podcast, I also host CEO video interviews and Wall Street views with investing experts for SNN's YouTube channel, SNN Network. I wanted to take a moment to invite you all to subscribe to the SNN Network YouTube channel. As a subscriber, you'll be the first to be notified when we publish a new CEO video interview with microcap management teams, a new Wall Street View video interview with investing experts, panels and keynote presentations from our conferences, as well as new and archived podcast interviews. Go to www.youtube.com backslash SNNWire and click the subscribe button. Again, that's www.youtube.com backslash SNNWire and click subscribe. Thank you for subscribing and for your continued support. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I would like to welcome Bill Naskovitz, Chairman and Portfolio Manager of the Heartland Value Fund and Small Cap Value Strategy. Bill, welcome to the Planet Microcap podcast. Great to be here, Bob. It's great to have you on. So, uh, you know, we met a few years ago at our uh, first at our showcase in Vegas, and uh, I'm just so thankful that you came on to uh, share more of your insights here with me on the podcast. 
So uh, let's start with your background. How'd you get your start investing in small micro cap stocks? Well, Bob, it started at a very early age. I was uh, a newspaper delivery boy, <laughs> maybe 12 years old, and uh, used my savings to, to buy stocks. And it really came from my father's interest in the market. And I started to hang around brokerage firms at a young age and uh, looking at regional companies, companies in our, our backyard here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So that's how I began. Mm-hmm. So I, I just have to ask, you know, why, why were you hanging out at these these brokerage firms? I mean, what, what were you trying to find out there? Well, <laughs> brokerage firms aren't always the best place to look for ideas, but hey, I, I'm a beginning investor. So, and, and back then, we're talking about the late 50s, it mm-hmm. was very difficult to... Uh, gather information, especially if you're a young retail investor. So I found that to be easy. I pick up reports on G. Heileman Brewing, which was a lacrosse Wisconsin company, and Aquachem, which was one of the uh, Milwaukee-based desalinization company. And we can go on and on. But things that uh, perhaps uh, a bank that where my parents banked or things like that that you knew. So uh, And these brokerage firms, there were a lot of them. They are probably... Back then, there were probably eight or nine in the city of Milwaukee, so there was plenty of uh, plenty of places to hang out and watch the tape and gather information. Mm-hmm. So, along with your father, who who would you say were some of your you know inspirations or investors that you looked to that you know inspired you to to go down this path of focusing on small microcap companies? Well, for sure, Ben Graham, uh, Security Analysis, University of Wisconsin-Madison, I was introduced to that. I was a major in finance, and we had a tremendous professor who uh, was tied into the New York Stock Exchange, and he'd have guest speakers come in. UW started the uh, one of the first applied security uh, programs for an MBA, where they currently today, I think they're managing something around million of of real money. So uh, Grainer, Frank Grainer, was a real inspiration. But sticking back, going back to uh, Ben Graham, the father of security analysis, uh, that certainly changed the way I I looked at things, especially coming off of the bear market in 1973-74. I reread The Intelligent Investor and then developed uh, this 10-point checklist in terms of buying small-cap stocks, small micro-cap stocks. So what we're trying to do there is, tr- is limit the downside risk of investing in this sector, but still capturing the upside potential. Mm-hmm. So this has evolved over the last, oh my gosh, that's a long time, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 40 years. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, what what made you want to then pursue a career in finance? You know, it sounds like, you know, you picked it up as a kid, it was kind of a hobby, and then it sounds like you kind of just ran with it. You know, is that, is, am I kind of hitting it on the nose there? Yeah, well, it might have been a default, Bob, because I, I, my father uh, was interested in building homes, and I would help him, and architectural design interested me, and thought, well, maybe I should do this, and then I took an advanced physics class in, I think, a senior year, and didn't do well. It was the worst grade I ever got, and I thought, well, maybe finance, so I changed course and decided, hey, I'm going to be a finance major. I'm going to the University of Wisconsin. And uh, someday I'm going to own a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. Nice. That's awesome. So then, you know, for those who don't know, you know, let, let's get your career genesis. You know, how did you, 
where'd you get your first start? And then when did you found uh, Heartland Advisors and the, the Heartland Value Fund? Yeah. Well, I um, got out of school when I was 22 and got a job with Dean Witter as a broker trainee. I wanted to be an analyst, but they were not going to hire a 22-year-old kid, even though I had, you know, maybe 10 years of investing experience. Uh, so I, I broke in through the brokerage ranks and, and became a retail broker uh, here in Milwaukee, developed an institutional business, uh, then then left them after 10 years, bought a regional brokerage firm when you could buy brokers at, at a fraction of book value. is very unpopular sector in the bear market for years that was in the, the uh, and, and and there we started the essentially uh, heartland advisors we started our the, the, the heartland value fund in 1984 and then launched several other we have a mid-cap fund uh, an all-cap all fund and also um, another small cap fund that focuses on dividends mm -hmm. no micro caps so the value fund is small micro. That's my love. We've got a four-man team. Son Will has uh, just joined us on the, on the fund. He's, he is CEO of the company. Uh, Will started to invest when he was 12 or 13 years old. Uh, my other partner is Eric Miller. His father was uh, the chief strategist at uh, uh, Donaldson Lufkin. So he started investing around 12. And... Uh, oh, uh, for, excuse me, 14, and then Mike Warnke just joined us out of the MBA program at UW. He started investing at 17, so you add them all together. Uh, between the four of us, we have uh, well over 150 years of, uh, of, of investing experience, so we've got a seasoned group, although there's a fairly wide range of ages here. By the way, I wanted to also say a quick uh, congratulations for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, you're my my first Bucks fan I've had on the, on the podcast here. Well, way to go! Um, yeah, fear fear the deer. That's right. I'm just I'm just thankful you beat the Celtics. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, here's a question I I wanted to ask you too, and this is before I get into your investment process and whatnot, and because this is something that's come up a few times on the podcast and, and I've interviewed a few asset managers that have, you know, millions and sometimes billions under management, you know, especially in the small micro cap space, you know, how, how, and you've been doing this now for almost 35 years, or the fund's been around for almost 35 years. When it comes to capital deployment, you know, what's, what are the issues around that? And, and have you run into issues and does that affect how you then go in and take positions in, in companies that you like? Sure, it does. And there's an allocation element to it, Bob, for sure. We've always had a diverse portfolio. Today, about 100 names and no one position accounts for perhaps more than 3.5% of the portfolio. Some are quite small because of either size or they're embryonic. It's a starter position. We're getting to know the company a little bit more, so and, and perhaps it might be because we're. It takes a while to accumulate the position, so uh, we we do look at um, liquidity. We've been measuring liquidity for decades. Uh, that's an hot issue now with the SEC. Uh, the fund is a, about you know seven hundred million in, in size, and since inception, we've got about eleven point four percent net return. Uh, but it's been a very difficult, very difficult. 
uh, five years or so for traditional value investors, which we are. It's been a growth momentum market, a very speculative IPO market, very reminiscent of that, that 73, 74 period, that nifty 50 period, and also that 98 to 2000, March of 2000 period, uh, the dot-com era. Uh, but this one is the big daddy of them all. It's been going on for seven years, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and value investors have been left in the dust, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. So I, well, I don't know if that answered your question, but we look for, we have 10 parameters. Uh, the traditional value, we look for earnings, you know, low price to earnings, cash flows, book values, mm-hmm. solid balance sheet, trying to lower uh, financial risk, and, and then a strong catalyst and management team. Mm-hmm. Uh, very subjective. And, and where we fail, it's probably on the latter that, that we've misjudged management or they ventured off and did something crazy. And uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an evolution, right, when you're in this sector. Right. What, what would you say, you know, now that you have all this experience in evaluating management, I mean, for, for those CEOs that are maybe listening to the podcast, or, you know, what are some of the qualities that you look for in management teams that uh, warrant your consideration for investment? Well, do they have a history of success? Mm-hmm. And secondly, are they aligned with management? You have to check their cop. Mm-hmm. Is, is the board active and, and going to hold this team accountable? Are these folks buying or selling shares? Those are some of the key, key things that we look at. Mm-hmm. Obviously, strategy. What is their strategy? Does it make sense? Are they, are they passionate and really engaged? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's you know, that's difficult to judge, uh, mm-hmm. but it's a key part. Right. So I want to I want to get back to that investment process, and it sounds like it's it's very much on the traditional value investing uh, side of things, and and it is. What would you say has changed about it in the thirty five years since you started the fund? Well, we used to have 12 parameters. We've cut it to 10 because I, I have difficulty sometimes remembering the 10 commandments. <laughs> That's good. So, uh, it, it's, but it's, it's, we're doing much more in-depth research today than we've ever done. This is over the period of 35 years. Mm-hmm. So our staff is seasoned, and uh, we, we, do, we go out and kick, you know, kick the bricks do site visits. We'll visit with easily eight to eight hundred to a thousand companies this year as a team. There's ten of us with the you know the four funds that we operate, and so we're very active in fundamental research. Mm-hmm. Talking to yeah, we'll talk to the street, and sometimes negative sentiment is perhaps the catalyst. It might be a temporary setback, right? Nobody's got to buy on the stock, and we're willing to sit with it, you know, for the turn, which hopefully might be six months, nine months, a year, year down the pike. Right. So I have another offshoot question. I, I'm kind of bouncing all over, but I just have so many questions for you, and I, I know we have limited time. So, you know, my my I had this question because this this has come up a lot at our conference and 
it's kind of interesting to me. And that's the idea that institutions uh, can't take sizable positions in companies that are listed on OTC. And, you know, they're telling companies, hey, you got to uplist and be on NASDAQ, be on the NYSE, you know, what's your comment on that? I mean, does it really matter? Or do you just want to see a company performing and, and running a good business and growing? Well, one would think if a company is performing, it will eventually be discovered right. by investors or perhaps strategic investors or perhaps a board management team will take the company private. This has been one of the big surprises this year and, and really a good part of last year, too. We normally have, we've had as many as 30 takeouts in a particular year. Wow. And this year we've had one, one, hmm. just one. One is a firm which is very surprising. You see all these deals and companies coming public at these outrageous valuations mm -hmm. and mergers and people paying up and borrowing money to do this and that. And here we've, uh, well, to go back to December, some of our companies were selling at two, three times EBITDA. And management did step up with insider buying, but principally buybacks. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was, that, that, that's the big surprise. So it, it's it's uh, it's very challenging. You know what is the catalyst? Right. Graham would say value will out. I mean, eventually, you can't deny, especially in today's low interest rate environment. My God, two percent on money versus some of these companies. Let's just take ten times earnings. Ten percent earnings yields. Keep it simple. Mm -hmm. Two versus ten. It's it seems like a layup. But for some reason, people are either they, they don't have confidence because of the macro situation or they, they don't have the banking. I know that uh, lending dried up in the fourth quarter, perhaps, but uh, the, and, and the buyers are momentum growth and they're very infatuated. CNBC and all the talking heads are so, so infatuated with, the, you know, the, this week's IPO and Certainly small, you, you rarely hear about valuation. Right. Rarely hear about valuation. Mm -hmm. there, there are pieces where value, you know, the new value. Value is just a factor. It's just part of, it's one factor, and it's really not that meaningful. But over the long term, value has outperformed every other style, and small cap value has outperformed any other publicly traded asset class. Small cap, small micro cap value has outperformed them all. So I don't know specifically what's going to be the catalyst here, other than this huge disparity between intrinsic worth and Mr. Market's valuation. Uh, I, I, if I wasn't doing this, I think I'd be out there trying to take over some of these companies. We have a handful of companies that are selling at, at cash per share, mm. a four hundred million dollar business, sell with no debt, selling below cash. One analyst likes it. Some cases, no analyst coverage. So that's usually coincident with bear markets. But we've got a bull market going here, right? We've got a bull market and growth momentum and, and uh, promises and, and, uh, and hype. Mm -hmm. and, and people are not paying attention to, to valuation. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I, I uh it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's an opportunity in our view. It's an opportunity for patient 
longer-term money, people who can look out more than one month, one quarter, one year. Mm -hmm. A big opportunity. It's very reminiscent of what's happened three times in my career before. I just named them earlier. Mm -hmm. So I saw in the crash of 87, too. So, Bill, I got to ask you because, you know, again, you've been investing for about 50 years, 35 years at the, at the value fund. So when it comes to small and micro caps, I mean, it's definitely taken a hit in recent years in terms of its, uh, I would say, its uh, uh, reputation. You know, it's always had a reputational issue because for me, that's always been my thesis as to why there is this odd misunderstanding and why it doesn't get as much mainstream attention is that it, it's it's the way it's been portrayed you know whether it's in the mainstream media or, or you know only mainstream media picks up the the frauds out there in, in the in the small microcap or as they call it the penny stock world i mean you you've been doing this a long time i mean has it always been this kind of sentiment or you know in the in the 70s and 80s i mean was it a little bit different well, I think it ebbs and flows, and people aren't, uh, uh, I don't think, I'm just thinking of the cannabis sector, and I, perhaps <laughs> you're right on that. I think you do, but uh, pe people aren't paying attention to valuation, and, and I'm sure there's going to be some, um, you know, tough, you know, some tough markets ahead for, for that particular mania, mm -hmm. but um Small today is up to, Russell calls small up to $5 billion. Mm. So we, we, we own, and one of the other funds, they own Manpower, and we almost bought it. It was a four, that's headquartered in Milwaukee. It was the, uh, the first uh, temporary of size uh, staffing company headquartered here in Milwaukee. It's a multi-billion dollar company, but it's, it was classified as a small cap stock. It's moved up now here smartly, and the select value fund owns it, so they've, They've done well with it, but so that's changed. So we have, I think, mid cap goes up to thirty three billion mid cap. Mm, well, I guess that's what happens when you have four companies that hit a trillion dollars in market cap. <laughs> Just think of that—a trillion dollars. It yeah. takes a lot of money to move a trillion, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Is that where you really want to put your money? But that's where people are putting their money in index funds and you know the Fangs and the QQQ and. That's where they're putting their money. Mm -hmm. uh, hey, and it's these are great companies and great products, but a uh, trillion dollars is awfully tough to double, I would think. It's a law of big numbers. Well, I would agree with that one. I think it might be kind of difficult. But so you're, you're, what you're saying is that, you know, the people just aren't paying attention to valuation anymore. I mean, in, have they ever? I mean, I know that seems maybe like a very vague question, but, you know, you might, one could argue that when you're reading the news and you, and you want to look for ideas and it's all the fang stuff and all, all these kinds of things that you see on CNBC and whatnot. I mean, is it because the various news organizations see just focusing on valuation is boring when they shouldn't? I mean, what, what do you think? Well, I think there's been indiscriminate buying mm. in passive funds and in some of these pockets of, uh, of, of uh, specul speculative activity. Mm -hmm. Indiscriminate buying. Mm -hmm. uh, people, I'll just give an anecdote. So I was at a, uh, one of our friends' neighbor had a party and uh, three other couples were there and the guys were talking you know, around a drink and 
well, what are you doing? Well, I'm, you know, with so-and-so, and uh, we're, we're doing index funds, but uh, I've, I've got 20 cannabis stocks in my little portfolio, my share of the portfolio. And this is a significant account. I mean, this is millions. So, but if you ask, I asked about valuation, they have no idea. Mm. What's the value of the company? They have no idea what the value of the company is. In fact, I don't even know if they know what the definition of value of the company. How do you figure that out? Mm-hmm. Or they read some something in you know maybe on the internet or some site, and you know, they chase it. It's going up, so they buy it. That sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's their research. So, they, they, have people ever paid attention to valuation? Yeah, they pay attention to valuation after after a significant bear market. Mm-hmm. After maybe when interest rates normalize or whatever the event might be, and just supply, too much supply. I mean, just people. We listened to a uh, San Francisco based, very, uh, very successful uh, venture capital fund yesterday in town. And this fellow, he was an initial investor in YouTube, so he knows what he's doing. And he, he thought this, this blow up here in Uber was terrific. He loved it because he said, well, now people are starting to think, hmm, we can't get away with everything here. We're going to have to pay a little bit more attention to valuation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it ebbs and flows, and today it's at an extreme. Right. So then, so I want to get back to another question that I had for you Um and and uh, I I went through the uh, your 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 PowerPoint presentation talking about the fund and whatnot, and in there you had some very interesting statistics that that argue for uh, the long term viability for focusing on a value based approach. You know, so what what would you then then say is the the big picture for the small cap value stocks? You know, again, you've been doing this a long time. You know, what would you well, say that is? Yeah, it's it. Historically, it's outperformed small microcap stocks, and value has done better than growth. But uh, these are unique periods, so we're living through. We've just lived through a seven, eight-year period of underperformance, and it's cyclical. And and uh, that's in the the presentation there, Bob, and you see it. But we're we're in terms of standard deviation, we're well. We're, we're we've approached. 1999 2000 levels, you know, minus 3% or something like that. Very similar. And when that happened the last go around, uh, value went on a uh, essentially outperformed for about seven years mm-hmm. and seven or eight years, maybe even more. So we think that's setting up today. And you know, the only takeout we had this year was at a 60% premium to the, the public market price. 60% premium. We, we were just accumulating the stock. Uh, we knew they were, they were coming up with a bad quarter, so we, were, we only had 250,000 shares of an $8 stock on our way perhaps to a million shares. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I suspect there's going to be more of this as, as, the, as, as perhaps some of the clouds part, maybe at the macro level or domestic political level. I'm not sure what the catalyst will be. Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. But when you can buy a business for cash and get the rest of it for free, 
that's called stealing, in my view. <laughs> that's the... so we're, breaking, we're breaking the Eighth Commandment. Right. I was... Thou shalt not steal. You can steal in the stock market today. We think we can buy a good business at cash. Mm-hmm. Essentially get it for free. The last time I, you see that in bear markets. And the first time I saw that, I was a broker at Dean Witter, and it was Curtis Wright. The Wankel engine had failed, and the stock had, I believe it came down from 60 to 6. Right. And all of a sudden, management came in there and started to buy stock back. And I looked at the balance sheet, oh my God, they've got $8 a share in cash, or 10. And the stock is selling for 6. And somebody at a Christmas party asked me, well, what do you like in the market? And I said, gee, I like Curtis Wright. He said, well, didn't the Wankel fail? I said, yeah, but they have $10 in cash and selling for 6 And he just walked away. He didn't say a thing. He didn't get it. Bill, how are we going to educate? I think that was, that, was in the, that was in the early 70s. Mm. And, anyway, I think what's going to happen, Bob, mm. you look back at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and I'm pretty sure, it's not, I don't have it in front of me, but 1966, let's say it hit 1,000. And I started with Dean Witter then in 69, and it was at 1,000, and then promptly went down as I got licensed. Mm-hmm. But tough, you know, bear market. I think it went down to 600 or 500, somewhere in there. But it traded in that range until 1982. Mm-hmm. Hard to believe. It traded in a range, and I think that's what we're setting up. Because who doesn't own the S&P? Mm-hmm. Okay, there's buybacks going on and all that stuff is, you know, supporting that, you know, supporting this level. But I think expectations are real high. We, we had a client, somebody come in, you know, this recently and just say, well, I really don't need you guys because I can buy the S&P 500. I won't lose. I'll just buy an index fund through Fidelity with no cost. Indiscriminate buy. You know, give me some more of that, uh, what's what's the trillion dollar, name the trillion dollar valuation at 20 times earnings. I, I want some more of that because it's 4 or 5% of the index. When you've got on the, on the, uh, the mirror image on the other side of the table, you've got businesses selling at what we believe to be compelling valuations. Bill, how do we how do we educate the masses on looking at valuation? We we should do one of these a week. Well, that's why we <laughs> took your invitation up to do a podcast, Bob. <laughs> we have to be evangelists. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> like I said, every week if you want, we're I'm in. <laughs> okay. So so another question I had then is you know what what then's the opportunity here? For retail investors, you know, not not all investors have. Uh, well, I'll say probably most <laughs> don't have the resources that you know. Let's say you have at your disposal. You know, how, how can they take advantage then of finding and, and and or trying to find these companies that are trading for below cash or at cash? Well, I think I I disagree with you. I think they do have access today. A lot better uh, availability than when I started doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, as a broker back in, call it 1970. Mm-hmm. So, in your own backyard, you're, you're dealing with perhaps your, your your spouse, your significant other, whatever. You're, you like a product and you think it's a great product, uh, you, you buy the stock. You know, after you do a little 
research in terms of looking at the the balance sheet as well as the income statement. Mm-hmm. Gee, is this company profitable? And what are what are shareholders doing? What are the insiders doing? Are they are they selling me stock? Are they selling me their stock, or are they buying it with me? Mm-hmm. So, I, I think there's plenty of opportunity for people. There are still thousands and thousands of companies out there, and a lot more globally too. I mean, the foreign markets are are loaded. I think with uh, the, you know these types of situations too on the smaller end. So, so, so. basically, so basically, what you're really saying is that it's it's not that you don't have the tools at your disposal. It's the it's you gotta you gotta look. You got to start looking. You know, you got to go yeah. get get going. You turn it over to somebody who is, and uh, that's where we come in. We do funds nice. and private accounts, and we're we're looking for business. Yeah. So uh, we manage about a billion and a half, and uh, all, over the long term, all of our our four funds have beaten their indices or their benchmarks rather uh, since inception. Mm-hmm. Our mid cap fund is relatively new, and it's five star. That's managed by uh, Will and Colin McQuay. Mm-hmm. and his team so uh, it, it can be done mm-hmm. and our, our value values out of style so it's a buyer's market in our sector and that's always in the long term proven to be a good opportunity for the patient long-term investors mm-hmm. so bill what what investing experience would you say has shaped your your current investing thesis the bear market is 73 mm-hmm. 74 I went back, as I said, and just reviewed what am I doing. I was a broker then, but I didn't want to lose clients' money like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, went back and reread it and came up with that 10-point checklist and started to use it and became one of the top uh, developed at both a retail and institutional business. Didn't come from wealth, uh, enough to leave Dean Witter and buy a brokerage firm and end up with a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. Mm-hmm. So my dream was fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe Rob, that Bob, that might be a good point where to where to end this. But I think if you work hard enough and a diversified portfolio of uh, based on, on on knowledge of what you own mm-hmm. and and the value of the company, what you're paying for it, mm-hmm. and what the earnings yield is, what that stream of cash flows might look like in the year or years ahead, mm-hmm. that's that's really the key to be a long term successful investor. So I do have one more question I have to ask you because again, you know, I, I don't, it's not often I get to speak to somebody who's really been in the markets for, for as long as you have and, and has the experience and wisdom that you do. So I, I have to ask then, you know, if you were to change one thing about the small cap, micro cap ecosystem, what would it be? Gee, change one thing. <laughs> one thing. Management's more attuned to more attuned to the public market. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they cater too much to let's call it the institutional market, and and sometimes they get trapped with uh, somebody in, in uh, corporate finance at some hotshot investment bank, which says you ought to do go do this, and I want to go do that. You know, lever up the balance sheet and buy somebody. So. That's probably never going to change, Bob. But it's it's proven to be, you know, a, a negative. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. it hasn't been positive for investors if those developments happen. Mm-hmm. Got it. 
So, so Bill, you know, uh, for more information about you and Heartland Advisors, where, where should my audience go and find everything they want to know? Just uh, go to uh, heartlandfunds.com, heartlandfunds.com. All right. We got game one tonight. Let's do it. Oh, I think the Bucks are going to kill them. It's not going to be a replay of that first Celtics game, that's for sure. I think, I think it's not going to be as competitive as people think. I agree with you. Well, we will see. Thank you, Bob. Thank you very much for joining me today. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you all for tuning in to the Planet Microcap Podcast, and thank you, Bill, again for coming on to the program. You can access the podcast by going on to stocknewsnow.com under podcast. Go to podbeat.com and search Planet Microcap Podcast. On Stitcher and search Planet Microcap Podcast. Spotify and search Planet Microcap Podcast. Or on iTunes and search Planet Microcap Podcast. Stay tuned for the next Planet Microcap Podcast where we'll have our next guest to discuss all things microcap. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to info at snnwire.com. I'd love to hear from all of you. This podcast has been brought to you by SNN Incorporated, publishers of stocknewsnow.com, the official microcap news source, and the microcap review magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you again for joining me on the Planet Microcap Podcast. Have a great weekend, everyone.